Hello, everyone, and welcome to VR Download. I'm Ian Hamilton, hosting today from the United States and joined by my colleague, David Heaney, over in Northern Ireland. Each week on Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, we meet in the studio using the latest VR technologies to talk about the next generation of personal computing. Heaney and I have been doing this for a couple of years at this point, but we've just recently met each other in the physical world for the first time. We can see comments usually live during our recording on YouTube, and VR Download is syndicated out to all podcast platforms. Heaney, what do we have today, and why are we in workrooms still? So we're going to be talking about the news that just dropped, that starting from today, you no longer need a Facebook account to use Quest 2 or any other Meta headsets, including their future headsets. So instead, you're going to be using Meta account, and we'll talk about that in a moment. We're also going to talk about the Logitech Chorus device, which is index-like off-ear speakers for the Quest 2 that Logitech is coming out with very soon. We're going to talk about Zuckerberg teasing meta avatars and Horizon graphics updates following the ridicule that he got when he posted that selfie from Horizon Worlds. And we'll talk about our impressions of Starburst, Meta's prototype of ultra-bright, high-dynamic range virtual reality. And finally, we'll discuss the fact that Sony just announced the release window for PlayStation VR 2. So if you've been living under a rock, PSVR 2 is coming in early 2023. I did spend my morning messing with my Facebook account. I just downloaded uh, my you know, Facebook data, and I'm this close to being able to delete my Facebook account. But I, I wondered if that would actually cause a problem. It shouldn't, shouldn't have caused a problem for coming into this studio if I had deleted that account right before I came in here. Right, Heaney? No, if you've already done the transition and you've unlinked your Facebook account, that should not cause a problem, theoretically. Workrooms uses the Facebook workplace account structure, so it's separate from your personal Facebook system, as far as I'm aware. Hello, Adam. Adam is is greeting us as, hello, MetaMates. So, hello, Adam. <laughs> yeah. He's saying that uh, Pimaxians are better than MetaMates. That's a, that's a lot of... Uh, Deep, deep cuts on the the references there. Yeah. So Heaney, what what can we say about meta accounts right now in particular, and uh, what does it mean for the end users out there? Are we going to see a lot of people deleting their Facebook accounts? Yeah. So this isn't you know new information. It's just that this is the day that it's finally launched. This is something that Mark Zuckerberg said he was going to do ten months ago. It's something that was announced last month, and we talked about it on this show, and it's been talked about to death. So you, you probably know the details by now in that the meta account system will replace the requirement for a Facebook account. You can optionally keep your Facebook account linked if you want, but if not, you can buy a Quest 2 and set it up without having a Facebook account. You can get your existing Quest 2 and transition over to the meta account system and no longer need to use a Facebook account. And yeah, you could absolutely delete your Facebook. The one thing is that just like every one of Meta's updates and most of the Silicon Valley big tech companies, this is rolling out gradually. So if you don't have it at the moment, you need to wait a few days or a week or two until it comes to you. We ready to move on to the next news already? Is that the, the core of the news yeah, here? Is there anything else? I think we've discussed, you know, we've discussed this on so many past episodes. This isn't a surprise. This is just finally the day that this arrives. So I think we can well, move on to Chorus. Yeah. So Logitech Chorus, $100 pair of headphones or off-ear speakers, more 
to be more precise, for the Quest 2. Heaney, you are expecting these uh, to arrive on your doorstep at some point soon, I think. What do these provide that the core Oculus experience doesn't provide? Yeah, the, I should be getting a review unit uh, any day now that I can uh, review and we'll, we'll test Logitech's claims. This is bringing the near off-ear speaker concept that Valve Index brought to VR to Quest 2. And the interesting thing about this is that unlike other audio accessories that kind of attach to the to the audio port and don't really integrate with the headset properly, this connects via USB Type-C and it slides on to the strap arms of the Quest 2. So it should feel like it's directly integrated. It shouldn't feel like a kludgy accessory. The current earphones that you get for Quest 2 from Logitech, you know, they're dangly and they kind of, you know, when you're putting on the headset, it's awkward to make sure the cables are rooted properly. With headphones, there's this awkward step of putting on a big clunky pair of headphones on top of a headset you're already wearing. And then, you know, when you take the headset off, you're taking two things off. It's also attached by a cable. This promises to be much more integrated and also deliver better sound quality and much louder uh, sound because it's they're near off your speakers. And at the same time, obviously the same advantage Valve talked about in that you can still hear from the real world if you need to. If someone calls your name in the real world, you're not going to miss that because there, you know, there's still a gap between those speakers and your ears. Also, it's more immersive to have nothing touching your ear because if you have an earphones or headphones touching your ear, there's always this reminder that this sound is coming from this audio device. Whereas with the Quest built-in strap audio and with this Logitech chorus, it feels like the sound is just coming from the virtual world around you. I'm seeing a bunch of comments there that we should probably respond to. One of the questions asking uh, from Captain Clutch, Heaney, does this also apply to developers going back to the meta accounts or do developers still need to log in with their Facebook account? It, it it does apply to developers in that you will no longer need a Facebook account as a developer. You should go to the developer.oculus.com blog for the details on that because it's quite specific and technical, especially when it comes to things like test accounts. And it's better to read that than, than hear it from us. Yeah, the key step, I, I've already seen people in our comments looking for instructions and we'll get those out as soon as we can on exactly the step-by-steps you need to go but i think the key step to remember is you need to migrate to the new meta accounts before deleting anything uh from from facebook so you got to make sure that your purchases and everything move over to your meta account and have that all set up before you go through the process of deleting facebook and i'm also seeing wolveraz's comment which is just generally uh Generally, I guess some sentiment out there saying, I'm not sure ditching Facebook for Meta makes any difference. If anything, makes sense to have tracking on both. You know, it's fundamentally the same company at the end of the day, but there is differences in how they're setting up these accounts to kind of push you to share content with others. You know, I, I come from that early generation of Facebook users that were caught by the wave of rollouts to college campuses and i watched the way facebook did change over the years to kind of in- encourage users to share more and more and more content and over on the meta account side of things the only thing that gets shared by default is your activity status where you you and you still have a choice when you set that up of whether you want that ex- activity status shared with anyone or whether you, you want it shared with friends or publicly. Uh, but that activity status shows what app you're in at any time, right, Heaney? 
Yeah, and it's important to say that the, the Meta Horizon profile, as they call it, is essentially just a renaming of the Oculus profile. There already was activity status on Oculus. Nothing on that level actually changes. And yes, a Meta account is just a piece of data in a in a server that is owned by the company Meta, just as a Facebook account is. But the fundamental difference is that a Facebook account is a social media profile, and by having Facebook, you can set your privacy settings to make it so that you're almost not shown there. But at the end of the day, there is still going to be a public profile that you have that has your name and a profile picture and a cover photo and any of the other kind of content you put on it. And if you are using Facebook and you get banned from that, then that would affect your account. So it would affect the usage of your Quest headset. So the fundamental difference here is that the usage of a VR headset is no longer tied to a social media account. It doesn't mean that you no longer need an account from the company Meta. You still do. But it just means that that account that you use for your headset is now completely separate to the account that you use for their, their public social media system. Seeing a couple comments out there where people are really thinking about this Logitech uh, device and uh, chorus coming down the line. We're going to try to get those uh, impressions out there as soon as we can. It's been a, it, we're, we're picking back up into the busy time of the year here. So there's going to be a lot of things coming that we're just going to have to get to when we can. And the chorus is one of those things that are that I'm really extremely curious about because I I've, I wrote about it in my review back in 2019 with the index that those had you know those speakers were incredible. The ability to both uh, sort of get rid of the outside world when you want it, but if someone really wants to speak to you directly, they can still usually get around those off-ear speakers. Like you can still uh, speak around them if you need to, but most of the time they they do an incredible job of immersing you in the sound while kind of tuning out the outside world. So I can't wait to see how those those operate. We yeah, ready to move on to the tech, next subject? Yeah, the last thing I'd just say is if Logitech can achieve the same or at least very close to the same sound quality as the Index, then this is a must-buy for a Quest enthusiast, I think. As long, the caveat here is that while the USB-C pass-through port does pass through PAR, so you can still be charging your Quest while you use this, it doesn't pass through Oculus Link. So if you're someone who prefers the wired Oculus Link to Oculus Air Link, this accessory is not for you. But if you are someone who either fully plays on standalone or uses Oculus Air Link or virtual desktop, of course, then that's something for you. And obviously, you know, we reported a few months ago that there is some evidence that D-Link may be looking into making a USB uh, wireless accessory for Quest 2. So if that happens, then you can still use it and you won't need to use the wired AirLink. Yeah, and I'm seeing a couple of people mention the head straps. Uh, officially, this chorus is supposed to work with the official head straps that come from Oculus, but might vi mileage vary when it comes to those third-party head straps, Heaney? Well, it should work with those third-party head straps when you look at the design here because it doesn't attach to the Elite strap. It doesn't attach to the default strap. It attaches to what you have left when you take any of the straps off of the Quest, those little strap arms that there are a couple of mods, I think, that take those off. But if you know, you, you would lose the, the built-in audio if you did that. The vast majority of head straps connect onto those same strap arms. So as long as they don't 
uh, go over them in a way that interferes with the way that Logitech goes over, it shouldn't be an issue. But I'm sure that now that we have, once the course starts shipping and once it's in people's hands, we'll find that out very quickly. So I would advise don't obviously pre-order this if you do have a third-party strap and you don't know it's compatible, but we'll look into it as much as we can. Yeah, so let's move on to that next subject here. And I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of discussion on this one amongst our audience because the internet has already discussed this uh, at length. They've had a week to sort of digest this. Mark Zuckerberg teased significant updates for meta avatars as well as Horizon Worlds in response to getting ridiculed by everyone for an image shared showing the current state of both of those technologies. Kenny, why don't you walk us through, for people who didn't see this, what exactly uh, Meta showed and what we can expect in the future. Yes, yeah, so this all started, if you're not familiar with the story here, with uh, Mark Zuckerberg announcing that Horizon Worlds, Meta's rec room competitor, was launching in France and Spain. And the image he took was fairly awful the point it was ridiculed as looking like a nintendo ds game the kind of lifeless dead avatar meta avatar with an extremely basic background that he had almost certainly made in horizon worlds in a couple of minutes if not you know less than a couple of minutes and so this led to widespread ridicule people assume that this is all that horizon worlds is capable of um do you have the image of the original selfie uh people assume this was all horizon worlds were capable of uh people this gave a very bad impression of meta avatars and we'll talk about why that is in a minute and so zuckerberg was kind of bullied into having to tease early the uh, preview of the significant graphic updates that are being worked on for both meta avatars and for horizon worlds and his post states that they're going to talk about this more at connect so this was probably something that was going to be shown at connect connect being meta's yearly ar vr conference but they were, because of this backlash and ridicule, he had to kind of tease this out early. So yeah, that's that original uh, post where you can see. And you know, it's important to note that this is not representative of even Horizon, never mind the meta avatars. And the reason it isn't uh, representative of the meta avatars is because all VR avatars are an exercise in making them look good in motion when being driven by the headset and hand sensors. It's, these, these aren't supposed to look photorealistic because if you had a photorealistic avatar that didn't have photorealistic animation, as in the mouth wasn't moving, the eyes weren't moving, you know, the facial muscles and all of the other muscles weren't moving, it just looks like a dead and lifeless mannequin. So the game of VR avatar design is to have something that is simplistic enough that it doesn't portray too much animation that can't be achieved by the current system sensors. Which makes me wonder, will the new avatar system he's shown off look bad when it's driven by a Quest 2 user? Will it look like a dead and lifeless mannequin? Because it's probably, from my understanding, probably going to be designed around Quest Pro, which we know will have face and eye tracking sensors, which may make some a more realistic avatar design look better. Yeah, uh, there was a bit of context, I think, that was added a little while. I think it was The Verge that had the internal memo sent around by uh, the, the executives at Meta about their priorities in the upcoming sort of crunch uh, in order, you know, the, the situation facing all tech companies and all companies everywhere where uh, economy is starting to turn. Uh, they're scared of, of not being able to make the same amounts of revenue that they used to. 
and there is you know a lot of uh belt tightening so to speak and uh, there was this memo that was circulated, and I remember in that memo, there was some commentary that said we need to decide on our avatar style. And we've also heard quite frequently here that Zuckerberg is taking a hands-on approach to a lot of the work that's happening in VR right now. And I think, you know, we're going right to the core of the situation here, Heaney, where avatars in motion are exactly what we need to see. But if they kind of move the whole avatar styling to supporting Quest Pro, then the earlier avatars might not necessarily look as good. Like it could be a bad deprecation step if it doesn't uh, move forward correctly. Uh, so I'd be really curious to see how they how they handle this transition because yeah, we talked about it previously that as soon as we've got face tracked avatars and our eye contact is more than just guessed at we're going to want to move up to that because it's going to be an incredible step forward but how do does it look when you have quest twos interacting with quest pros and do you know do they mesh well or is it uncomfortable uh to have that kind of cross-pollination there yeah i think even with the current avatars zuckerberg really should know better than to make an announcement like this because i can imagine a lot of people who are working on meta avatars and horizon worlds saw this post and kind of cringe they thought you're showing our work off in the worst possible light this really should have been a video post he should have had hand tracking he should have been sitting obviously you know he can access a build with hand tracking he should be sitting there using his hands and expressing and to be honest he probably should have announced this with a quest pro on we've seen that he has a quest pro obviously he's the ceo of the company he should be used showing off that face tracking and eye tracking and pointing to an environment that was made by one of these creators that they're paying so much money to to create these environments it's just it's shocking to see that he has such a lack of self-awareness of of this why would he have posted this out without even thinking just to respond to one of our commenters, though, and this is a sentiment I've seen so widely. People are saying, for $10 billion, shouldn't this look like Star Citizen? Horizon Worlds did not cost $10 billion. $10 billion was Meta's entire VR and AR budget from everything from hardware to content to future research and development for that entire period. It was not, that figure was has been, every single day I see on Twitter, someone says, this is what they got for $10 billion. No, Horizon Worlds is a small, tiny fraction of that 10 billion. The other problem is, and the fundamental reason that these experiences, including Rec Room, look so graphically simplistic, is that Quest is using a mobile processor. This does not have the power of a PC. Even on a PC, you couldn't do Star Citizen graphics because you're trying to render something at 90 frames per second with a very high resolution for two eyes. That's not something you can get Star Citizen graphics out of. Uh, so yeah, it's sorry you're muted. I know this isn't in our official lineup today, but it is in our title, and we plan to talk about it. We're still trying to get the article together to talk about what we saw at Seagraph with regards to this in particular. Heaney, can you uh, just this. summarize real quick what this is for people, uh, and how far away is it from consumer readiness? There's it's nothing on screen. It just still shows the. Uh, Does YouTube not work? I, I I don't know. I don't think so. Hmm. What about embedded? It's not That's in the bummer. title anymore, by the way. I, would, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, I, it doesn't seem to work. It just still shows the Zuckerberg avatars thing. 
Okay. Well, uh, I was trying to show off codec avatars, and codec avatars are the long-term plan over at Meta to have, you know, photo more than photorealistic. I, I don't like the term photorealistic anymore because you need to have them uh, look believable to people inside VR. And Meta is working on pretty future-looking tech on, on on enabling that, but there's a long kind of there's a lot of roadblocks in technically achieving that on consumer hardware. But you know, not a lot of people are aware that they're working hard on that idea, or that there even is like a feasible roadmap to, to getting there. Can you explain what codec avatars are, just for context of this conversation? Yeah, and if you could bring up even some images, I think that'll probably be useful for context for any audience members. I'm sure that most of our regular viewers know this as we talk about it so often, but it, it's Meta's long-term research and development project to develop, as Ian said, avatars that both look identical to the human user and move exactly like them, driven by face tracking, eye tracking, hand tracking, and all of the other sensors that future VR headsets are going to have. Uh, still still nothing on that screen, just the Zuckerberg one. Uh, so we've had, we had a chance at SayGraph not to try codec avatars proper, but we just got to try a sort of side project that was generating them on the fly using a smartphone scan that took about three minutes of panning your smartphone around your head. So normally these codec avatars require a massive array of something like 90 cameras that are 4K in a huge capture studio to create. And that's what gets you to the kind of near photorealism that they've gotten. But what we tried was something that was standing on the smartphone. So it was really interesting to see that. But in general, this is still something that is likely a very long way out. This is nowhere near to shipping and consumer devices. It's stupid to put any kind of time frame on it, but we are talking beyond five years here. We're not talking about something that's going to arrive in headsets anytime soon. Yeah, see, I, I, I want to. I, I, it's it's such a fundamental technology. So we saw this presentation from the head of the project, who's working on this, and. He referred to, you know, he made a statement uh, that in 2021, they think they passed the uncanny valley in VR for the first time with this technology. The The trick is going to be getting that last mile of making that uncanny valley passed across consumer hardware, you know, affordable VR hardware. And, you know, we saw some, we were looking at all the images that they were sharing and they had some really cool demos of like, a um four of these avatars and what looked like a quest and they were performing um a uh, like a song and it had spatial audio uh, correctly attached to each of these four heads and you could lean around and uh theoretically hear all these people with their voices coming from the right locations it looks really impressive but again we don't know how far that is and I, you know, it's it's weird to think that there's this Quest Pro headset coming so soon, right? There's going to be a headset that's going to be driven by more sensors, but there's a real question and a lack of info about what kind of quality of avatar we're going to get out of those systems and what we might have seen from Zuckerberg is exactly what we might see, right? Yeah, I think Zuckerberg's preview of, you know, showing that photo of the new avatar update, if you can bring that one back up, I don't know if the casting's not working anymore, but if you can bring that back up, that's that's probably what we will see for Quest Pro. That's probably a very realistic depiction of the kind of fidelity that's possible in real time when you 
you know, do better optimization and have maybe because of the better cooling, a processor that's capable of 20 to 30% more with mm. double the RAM. Yeah, I was having a talk uh, on Twitter about this, and it's just, I'm, I, I'm, I keep thinking about that one-to-one calling feature, uh, authentic telepresence, where you've got a person who is, you know, I've met you now, Heaney, so I know what your face looks like in real life. And the end goal of all this VR is we can feel like we're actually here together in every facet, right? And it's not just avatars. There's also the displays themselves and the optic optical path that they take that all need to improve in, in lots and lots of different ways. But it, it seems like a lot of these problems are, are ultimately getting, getting solved. I, you know, it's going to take, it's still a long path, but the work continues uh, on solving these problems. And a lot of the naysayers about, out there about VR in general don't really accept that part of, of like the, the equation, right? They, they just harp on the way things look now. And you can see in a lot of these instances, a lot of these people haven't experienced this stuff in VR. So they're usually speaking from a place that, uh, doesn't really grasp how this stuff feels in VR and how that's different from the way it works. Um, the way it works on a flat screen. We ready to move on to that next subject? Yeah. The only last thing I'd say is, you know, those the problems are being solved in research labs. But I think it's always very important to note that these kind of future technologies we're going to talk about, whether it be codec avatars or the ultra bright high dy- high dynamic range, they are a long way out for consumer headsets, and there are. There are meaningful near-term improvements that are going to arrive in headsets, but the stuff we're talking about is the end goal for VR. It's not what we expect to happen anytime soon. Two interesting comments here. Birdie saying, revealing one's physical appearance uh, should be subject to protection. And that was a really interesting moment from our, our time checking out this Avatar demo, where they would not let us drive somebody else's Avatar. So... They had a live demonstration of a meta researcher driving an a-, a fake avatar, you know, a codec avatar up on the screen. And you could look up on the screen and see the avatar's face movements. And they're translated in real time from this researcher sitting 20 feet away. But they specifically let us go inside the headset and see what that avatar looks like. But they they wouldn't allow anyone to drive another person's avatar. So they've they've obviously thought this through internally somewhere at Meta about the risks involved, and even I, I've I've had a discussion about how facial authentication is is very likely in our future, isn't it, Haney? Yeah, exactly. That that responds to another comment there I saw as well, where someone is saying, "Aren't there serious concerns about having a photorealistic version of you?" out in the metaverse and yeah from what i understand and from what they seem to indicate in that interview with you it's very likely that this technology will be locked to your iris so if you have a magically or a magically two or a hololens two you already sign into that device using your iris unlock in the same way that you sign into a smartphone with your fingerprint unlock or with your face id unlock on the newer iphones so this is likely to be something where they are not going to let a photorealistic version of you be out in, in the metaverse. They're going to lock it to your own biometric identity. Yeah, and uh, Rudy's comment here, hell no, I want to be Nicole Kidman, not a fat, bald dude. 
I, you know, that comment, it's funny, but it kind of goes to the core of this situation that is going to happen in the metaverse where people want to represent themselves as fantastical versions of, you know, an avatar that are completely different than their actual appearance. While other people, you know, other uses of VR are getting pitched as being work replacements. And do you want to show up as that fantastical avatar or as yourself, or does your boss want you to show up one way or the other? It's going to be a really interesting evolution over this next decade how that goes i recommend going back and seeing our interview with we met in virtual reality the director joe hunting i interviewed him talking about some of these ideas because that documentary that's on hbo right now he only represented those avatars as their fantastical versions whereas there's a lot of people that look at these hyper realistic avatars and go that's that's not what i want out of vr even when near term, meaning we're talking about remote work potentially being uh, a thing that these headsets could could achieve in some capacity, right? Yeah, yeah. You're still going to want the tracking to be hyper realistic, and you're still going to want it to somehow translate your skeleton and muscular structure into a convincing representation of the avatar you want to be. And this is what I always point out when we talk about fantastical avatars. In the same way that if you go back and watch the making of uh, the Hobbit films where you have Benedict Cumberbatch as Smaug and you see the way that he has to move in a motion capture outfit to convincing you look like a dragon. The way that creatures that are non-human move is very different to the way the humans move. So if you want to convey that realistically as something fantastical, when we get really, really, really accurate body tracking that translates kind of every subtle movement of your body directly into VR, there's going to need to be some kind of translation there. And there's going to be issues in that, do you want to look down and see your body parts where they are in your real track space? Or do you want to look down and see some sort of translation to the the creature or uh, fantastical idea that you want to be? Those are going to be very difficult issues to solve. And it's not just as easy as saying, I don't want to be a human. The problem is that you move like a human and you're structured like a human. So there is going to have to be some level of translation there. Yeah. And I think there's real interesting exploratory work over on VR chat specifically in that regard, but it's, it's obviously very small subset of the community that's able to do those sorts of weird things. I remember talking to someone a while back that had, uh, that was doing puppeteering. They were a puppeteer in the real world. And so they were trying to figure out how to puppet, uh, inside VR in a very different way than driving the avatar with our with their physical body. But yeah. uh, let's I move on to Starburst. Uh, the last thing I was going to say is just it always seems like it's going to feel like you're in a costume. The more realistic the tracking gets, the more it's going to seem like it's just you, but in a costume than actually mm. you inhabiting another creature. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's talk about Starburst. Uh, I'm a little bummed if we're not able to show up too many images on the on our screen here from Starburst, but Heaney, uh, I got to write my little article about Starburst and getting to see HDR VR for the first time. Uh, basically, can you recap what that was for our audience and why it's a significant demo? Yeah, so Starburst is Meta's research prototype of ultra-bright, high-dynamic range VR. Ultra-bright is 20,000 nits in this case, and that compares to the Quest 2's roughly 100 nits. You're talking about a significant difference in brightness compared to the Quest 2, you know, a, a 200 times difference. The the the, um, the thing about this prototype to realize, though, is that it is not designed to be to say this is the technology that we will use to achieve ultra-bright HDR. 
It is actually just using off-the-shelf components. What it's designed to do is be a perceptual research test bed to look at what are the effects on the user of this brightness. How bright do we need to get for this to really seem like it can replicate the brightness of the real world? And then they can use that information to target their future devices and their research prototypes of actual technology that they're developing themselves to say, where do, what benchmark do we need to hit here? And the, the demo of it, as you know, me and Ian both tried, was incredibly impressive. It really did feel like you're actually looking at a light source in the real world versus any headset you have today, that it just looks like something that is kind of textured white. There's never this real feeling in VR that that's a real bright, bright object or a real bright light being being shined at you and it really does change your feeling in your head of is this scene and i'm looking at real there is if you walk outside on a sunny day you can you will see brightnesses that go into the millions of nits if not billions if you're stupid enough to look directly at the sun but even on an indoor day you're going to see tens of thousands of nits in some of the brightest scenes and that's what this is able to replicate and i really think it is meaningful to the point that it will be key to the long-term future headsets that need to try and replicate reality. Well, I've lost access to control of my PC entirely now in VR. So uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, this demo the, I, really blew my mind. You, you, you explained it perfectly. What the Quest 2 is only 100 nits. HDTVs are maybe a couple thousand nits. And then there's uh, millions and billions with the sun and what's reflected off of it. And the demo uh, that, that just blew my mind was putting the sphere in between me and a light over in the, in the corner. And it's hard to describe how physically present that light source looked over in the distance, right? It, it looks like you're looking at a actual light over there, but it, it's not just the light itself, even the structure around it looks like it's actually present over there in the corner. But you put the sphere in between you and the light and then move to the right and you can feel your eyes react uh, the same way it might if you're walking outside of like a, a dark movie theater out into the bright sunlight. You know, the way your eyes squint and you, you refocus. If you've never, you've never experienced that before in a VR headset, I would, I would bet. Um, no one in our audience, I would imagine, has, has had that amount of brightness poured into their eyes. Uh, I remember that 2015 video from a Valve researcher where they said that they were experimenting back with HDR back at that time. And they described uh, basically hacking together a system that put out so much brightness, you put the headset up to your eyes and it's, a, it's like a, a beach scene in the headset. And as you're bringing the headset up to your eyes, you feel the heat of the beach scene because that's how much brightness is coming out of the display. And everyone that they put in the demo would giggle because of that effect, right? Uh, and I'm seeing in our comments, people talk about heat, right? Uh, it's, it's funny to think about all the added heat that might come out of these headsets. And right, there's, it's miserable to use a VR headset in summer in some cases because of heat. So uh, HDR so is gonna be competing with a lot of things going forward, right? Yeah. So one of the reasons that Starburst is so big and, you know, we wish we were in our normal studio to be able to show you the images right now. We'll hopefully be back in it next week. But, you know, Horizon Workrooms is a bit glitchy for this kind of thing. The One of the reasons that it is so physically bulky is that a huge percentage of the headset is just a giant heat sink to dissipate the heat. 
Meta is not claiming that this technique is how real headsets are going to arrive there. Valve would not have claimed that either in their demo. These were just, what is it like to see HDR? To get that kind of brightness in real headsets in the future, we're likely going to need micro LED displays, which are, you know, that is a brand new display technology on the cusp of coming into existence in a meaningful way in consumer technology. There has been no new, as in completely new display technology in the consumer world since OLED. You, you know, unless you're counting e-ink displays, but they don't really count in this context. Micro LED is going to be the fundamentally new display technology that can bring us these levels of brightnesses in products in a in much smaller and much more heat efficient way than the current technique of just having an extremely bright lamp as an LCD backlight. So hopefully in the future when this does arrive, heat shouldn't be a significant issue. But for now in these prototypes, unless they do have a heat sink, that's the problem. And to be clear, this thing was not even portable. You had it was attached to a wire that was attached to a kind of large metal uh column on the ceiling. So you had to hold it in your hands with two uh, grips on the side and look through it. It wasn't even a headset, really, in, in that sense. It was more just a kind of semi-stationary portable demonstrator. I, I appreciate, though, that it did have sixed off on the one that was a more impressive demo, right, where you could do the leaning and really uh, experience what that perspective change does to the to the experience. And the other key thing about this research was that Meta had an exploded view of every component inside this headset on display right in front of the booth. And they explicitly took off-the-shelf parts, things that other people could go out and buy and put together this display system because uh, Douglas Landman, the head of display systems research over there at Meta, made it clear that what they're hoping to do is start a broader conversation about how valuable HDR is going to be and exactly how much range is going to be needed to achieve steps forward in in presence in various scenarios. So the 20,000 nits that are put out by this display, that can allow this headset to match pretty much any indoor lighting condition. And, you know, we've talked a lot about whether VR headsets are going to be able to encompass AR headsets and go outside of the house. Well, you know, if you're able to replicate any indoor lighting, you can tell a lot of different stories just assuming that your people are going to use them primarily in indoors. So the way Landman talked about it, right, is as they move towards this, what they call the visual Turing test, they're going to look for being able to tell additional stories and additional types of content that are going to soar on, on future headsets that have these additional abilities. And for those people that, again, look at our current avatars that we're using right now, the current state of VR, you know, maybe thinking that it looks like old technology, they're not grasping that these these things are going to get solved over the, the, the great span of time. Are we ready to talk about the next subject, Tini? And what is it? Because I've lost my notes. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that we're talking about future ultra high brightness, high dynamic range, because the next topic is to do with the for, as far as we are aware, the first consumer headset that will have high dynamic range displays, though it's unlikely it will be anything near the brightness of Starburst, and it's PlayStation VR 2. So PlayStation VR 2's 
release window has finally been announced by Sony. It is coming in early 2023. So it will miss the holiday season of 2022, which seems like it will be a fairly significant period to miss. And as far as I'm aware, it will be the first Sony PlayStation console to not launch in that October, November timeframe in quite some time, maybe even almost two decades. Yeah, the PlayStation VR 2, I, I joked on Twitter that uh, because it's now officially confirmed as coming in early 2023, I don't have to rearrange my house until that time, which, you know, it is it is a joke, but it's also kind of true where uh, the difference between a Quest and a PSVR, even a PC VR headset, is you kind of have to arrange your play space around vr when it's a wired system or it's tethered to a device nearby whereas quest you can kind of uh put it in any room that you want at any given time right yeah that is obviously the primary disadvantage of this platform other than the fact that you have to acquire and own a playstation 5 it is tethered it is a single cable so it's not like the playstation vr1 where it was a whole kind of array of cables but it is a tethered device to your playstation so the Instead of being able to pick the largest open area in your house to play VR, you're now going to have to pick the largest open area that you can have a television with a PlayStation 5. But the good thing about this headset, from what we know, is it will have high dynamic range OLED displays, which is a big improvement over the whole crop of uh, LCD VR headsets we have today. You know, the Index, the Quest 2. Uh, the Pico headsets, the Vive Pro 2, the Vive Focus 3, these are all LCD displays that cannot display the true color black, but PlayStation VR 2 will be able to do that. It also is going to have a wider field of view than most headsets on the market. From what we understand, probably around the same field of view as the Valve Index, roughly speaking. It is going to have uh, high fidelity haptics on the controllers, just like the PlayStation 5's gamepad. Uh, inside out tracking so you're not having to use that playstation camera anymore eye tracking which will support both social vr and foveated rendering and even head haptics so you get shot in a game and your headset will actually vibrate so there's a lot of really exciting technology that's going to be shipped in playstation vr 2 for me the real big question is what will be the price this is not a, this is clearly a headset that is not designed to be mass market cheap but the question is to what extent does Sony want to subsidize it or will they try to make profit off the hardware itself? I think it's unlikely they'll try to make profit off the hardware itself, but even if they're selling at a cost, this thing is not going to be, you know, it's not going to be $200. I think I can confidently say it's not going to be $200. Yeah, uh, you, you hit all the major points there. Price is going to be the ultimate thing. And it's a bummer for us as, as watchers because I think there was a lot of hope that there was going to be a lot more competition in the market this year in 2022. Now we're seeing some of these things get pushed out to 2023. We expect uh, Apple's headset to be in 2023 as well, uh, right, Heaney? And uh, we're still, we have a lot of people out there wondering about Pico and really wondering whether Pico is able to get into this year to compete against Meta. Uh, do you think that's actually going to come to pass? Is it going to be Pico versus Quest this Christmas now? Yes, I, I really do. I think when you look at ByteDance is clearly very serious about this. They are one of the largest tech companies in the world. Um, 
in some ways, thanks to their association with the Chinese government, but they are one of the largest technology companies in the world. They have a huge revenue stream coming from TikTok. They have TikTok as a, a the most effective marketing system in the modern world. So if they kind of let you instantly port video content that you've recorded in Pico out to TikTok, that's going to be a, a viral marketing method. They have already demonstrated Pico, the company that they acquired, has already demonstrated the ability to ship standalone headsets for more than six years now, seven or eight years. They actually had an Oculus Go-like headset out before Oculus Go. And from what we understand, Pico is starting to create Pico Studios to fund content. So when it comes to mass market VR that people can buy for you know $400 or $500 all in, it's going to be Quest versus Pico. But the, the thing that's been missing in the past few years as PC VR has effectively stagnated is the high end of VR, the ability to run the kind of fidelity of content that just is not possible on a standalone headset. And on PC, the simulator market has kind of stayed alive. You know, if you if you like flight simulators, if you like racing simulators, if you like games like Elite Dangerous, that's still you know a thriving area for VR. But when it comes to you know larger adventure games, the kind of games like Half Life Alex the games like Skyrim VR or Fallout VR, there hasn't been any kind of follow-up to that in the past two years on PC. And what PlayStation VR promises to do is to build out the high-end market. The hardware is high-end. You've got those you know, really high-quality displays with a wide field of view lenses, fantastic controllers by all accounts that we know so far with that haptic technology. Sony has promised more than 20 games at launch, and they are a company who has excellent relations with game developers, knows how to fund and ship great games. This is going to be where high-end VR lives for the foreseeable future. I think in many ways, PlayStation VR will far more be competing with PC VR and in many ways displace it than it will be with standalone because there's always going to be, standalone is always going to appeal to those people who don't want to pay for an entire PlayStation 5 and an entire PSVR and have it tethered to one room. Yeah, I'm we've seen it in our comments already and I'm just I'm I'm sort of bracing for it Heaney where as soon as Pico is on the market as a competitor in the West with a comparable price there's going to be headline after headline uh talking about the data policies of these companies and it is obviously a very real concern in our heads something that uh, all of our readers out there should think about but it's one of those things where uh you know people people are just going to try to reject vr out of hand because you know you've got essentially one of the most data hungry organizations of the last few years uh in facebook right trying to get as much profile information filled out into your facebook profile and now you've got pico which is coming from a chinese company uh fundamentally and is that any better is going to be the ultimate you know there's going to be a lot of headlines to that but it's just from our perspective Heaney, it gets kind of tiring hearing all the negativity year after year after year over what v- what vr brings to the table that's you know why i kind of direct people to these connections that get made from far away that don't make as many, you know, don't aren't the easy stories to tell, right? You've got to go find the people who have been brought together despite distance and find each other, even though they're physically separated. And the things that they're able to accomplish together uh, 
that they wouldn't have had any other way. My favorite example of VR, I'll talk, I talk about it week in and week out, is walk about mini golf and um, the ability for people to just socialize for a few minutes and have an experience that's very close to something from their past with a faraway friend. It's magical. And these headsets are going to enable that in, in huge numbers. But, you know, people don't like to talk about that as much as they like to talk about the risks because it's it, it's more headline grabby. Yeah, and I think that's where these kind of standalone wireless systems really show their strength. And, you know, when you're able to, because of the affordability and portability of these devices, you're able to play a game like mini golf with your friend. And it's graphically simplistic, but because of the social aspect and because of the mechanics, it's still really fun and engaging. But I think... I think where PlayStation VR is going to have its strength is likely going to be in the much more graphically impressive and deeper core gaming experiences. If you think of Quest and Pico as kind of social gaming light headsets, PlayStation VR is going to be that real hardcore gaming category. And I imagine, I mean, I could be wrong, but I suspect that whereas the most popular games on Quest and Pico will be multiplayer, like Walkabout Mini Golf, I think the most popular games on PlayStation VR will probably be, again, I could be wrong, single player. These really deep, immersive single player experiences that simply cannot be ported to Quest. And that's where that strength will kind of lie. Because even if you you don't know anyone that has both a PlayStation 5 and a PSVR 2 headset, you can still get lost in these deep, immersive single player worlds that PlayStation VR is going to provide. And and when it comes to the data issue, there's that doesn't kind of cast a, a cloud over PlayStation VR because you know that Sony isn't a social media company like ByteDance or Meta. Sony is trying to sell you a console and games and online services. Sony wants you to subscribe to PlayStation Network, buy as many PlayStation games as possible, and buy the accessories and hardware for PlayStation. They're not interested in this kind of targeted advertising system, at least not yet. We never know what they could do in the long-term future. Yeah, the the thing, the, the only wrench in there, I think, in in this discussion over time, and you've you've uh, shut me down multiple times in the show. He's going to shut me down again. Not again. Yeah, right. I know. I'm sorry, but uh, Heaney, it's it's such a miserable thing to compare a PSVR that only connects to a PlayStation to these standalones that also connect to a PC, right? It, it, it makes the comparison of these platforms so impossible to, to compare. Everything you said about PlayStation is true, but how do we recommend a PlayStation when you can go and get a Pico or a Quest and then connect that over wire or wireless to a, a wired system? The or, you know, to a Quest... The majority in Quest and Pico users never touch a PC. They can they use it entirely in standalone mode, and they don't connect it to a PC. We know that from the stats. That's something that the vast majority of people don't have a gaming PC. So yes, if you are someone who has a, a gaming PC, that's going to be an obvious choice for you. You're not going to want to migrate all the way over to console and be stuck completely there. But when it comes to the average gamer, the average tech user that we're talking about, their choice is between a fully standalone Quest or Pico and a and a fully integrated PlayStation. And if they're already playing their games on PlayStation, like tens of millions of people are already doing, that's a no-brainer for them, isn't it? They don't have this issue of, do I connect it to my PC? Because they're not playing games on their PC. They're playing games on their PlayStation. All right. Well, I'm going to try to get Heaney eat his hat if it ever happens. If we ever see a PSVR 2 that connects to a PC, I expect him you to... You mean officially, uh, though? I, I'm yeah. sure eventually someone will come up with something. <laughs> It'll still... 
Yeah, well, yeah, the context there is, yeah, you can already find the original PSVR in the Steam hardware uh, reports using unofficial tools. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm crossing my finger. Ooh, can I cross my fingers in here yet? I'm crossing my fingers. I want it. And I, and I honestly think it is such a competitive disadvantage despite uh, all that logic over there. Anything else <laughs> that we should respond to uh, before the end of the show, Haney? Uh, I'll have to peek up to look at the comments because you know the issue with using this is that I can't actually see the comments and stream at the same time. But you know, the last thing I was going to say is in terms of, I do think the idea of PlayStation VR 2 coming to PC via unofficial third-party methods is really interesting. The issue is it's going to be a lot harder because whereas the third-party tools today use a webcam uh, to track the lights on the PlayStation VR 1, which is, you know, it's a blob tracking problem. It's well solved. It's something that a lot of open source projects can easily do. To get that working on PlayStation VR 2, they're going to have to build their own inside-out tracking system. The, the By all accounts, the software for that will be running on the PlayStation 5 itself. I could be wrong. Maybe there's a dedicated chip, but it's likely that the software, just like Windows Mixed Reality and just like you know the Rift S, the software will be running on the device, the PlayStation itself. So if you want to replicate on that PC, you're going to need to find a way to get access to all that data over a single USB-C cable and you know de-warp those cameras, find the exact optical uh, measurements of it all, track the controllers in real time, come up with a slam algorithm that can track all of the room in real time. It's going to take a lot longer in my view for that to arrive. Although I imagine we'll see a, a thread off, a non-positionally tracked support for PlayStation VR 2 arrive on PC much earlier. And you know, there are a few people that use Pico headsets without, or sorry, not Pico. Um, uh, my, my brain is completely gone blank. The ultra wide field of view. Oh, Pimax. Pimax. Wow. My Jesus. Wow. Uh, Pimax headsets. Uh, I've been working on this studio for the past two days. <laughs> you can't see straight anymore. He's been working yeah, on trying honestly, to get us my back brain, online. Not even, not even working today. <laughs> uh, there's people that use Pimax headsets without positional tracking today in 3 off mode for things like simulators. I imagine we'll see PlayStation VR 2 use like that for the first while on PC once people figure that out. Yeah, so the only thing I guess I'll add there is Wolveraza's comment there that the masses are buying standalone and graduating to PC VR over time because of their budget constraints. And uh, when you want to start PC VR, you've got to have everything all at once. And that's kind of the same with uh, with with PlayStation. It's a different kind of kind of different thing, but you still have to have the PC or the PS5 first and then add on the headset later. But I guess that's my my just problem, Heaney. It's the quest has been such an easy recommendation for a lot of people because of that path. Hey, try out the quest, it's only a couple hundred dollars. And then you can graduate to amazing things like Half-Life Alex and Flight Simulator and all these things you can only get with a serious power system behind it. And it just I I I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens, right? I still think we're living in a bubble. I think in our bubble of tech enthusiasts and people who are active on, you know, technology Twitter and the people who comment on uh, you know, upload VR videos, they are highly technical people in general who have a good knowledge of PCs, who have, are experienced in PC gaming, your average Quest user will never connect their Quest to a PC. It will not even for not even for something like SideQuest. They will use it as a console, just like it's a Nintendo Switch, and they will, you know, buy content on the store and play Rec Room and VR Chat and things like that. And yes, will a percentage do that upgrade path? Sure. But if you were to take that percentage of people out, even if Quest couldn't be connected to a PC, 
it would be almost as popular as it is today. That's mm-hmm. the argument I'm trying to push. Yeah, it's. I'm just. I'm coming from this place of like watching the battle that happened between Rift and Steam, and it was this weird fanboy-driven war, uh, right? Where people are bought a headset and now they're just committed to that camp, uh, and and kind of speaking lines from whatever that camp agrees with. But like we're we're almost a decade later now, and we're going to have these wars fire up again because it happened with PlayStation coming online. But the original PSVR, you had people just arguing endlessly over which is the the right system and wh- which audience it best serves. And I don't know. I, I want, uh, you know, we put out this graphics comparison between Red Matter uh, 2 on Quest and on PC. And if you look through those comments, there's a lot of people doing mental gymnastics to try to like justify why this quest game looks the same on a PC headset. Like there's just a lot of PC owners out there who uh, will only look at this quest game and, and talk down to it because, you know, in their minds, the graphics should be just insanely better on the PC, no matter what. Whereas uh, a lot of these Quest owners are looking at this and going, oh, this is evidence of what all other Quest developers should be doing. Um, And it's both these people are coming from uh, sort of just bent viewpoints about what, you know, quality content is, how the developers have chosen to apply their their expertise. And it's just we're going to be in for a lot more of that as this next as this next uh, cycle uh, builds up, right? We're gonna have a lot of these fan wars uh, with people trying to insist that their system is better uh, even when uh, there's strong evidence to the contrary. Maybe, but I still think we need to remember the scale of these things and the kind of bubble effect. When you're talking about the Rift and the Vive and and the PlayStation VR in 2016, a couple of hundred thousand people bought those systems. We're now in an era six years later where north of 10 million people own and use VR. We're talking about, you know, a 50 times difference in the number of people that we're talking about here. This is, you can't really just map what a couple of hundred thousand tech enthusiasts thought and how they acted to how tens of millions of VR users that are using, you know, console and standalone are going to use. As this market expands out from that core tech enthusiast market to tens of millions of just average tech users that don't think in this way, that don't really care about platform wars or any of this nonsense. They just want to buy and use games and social act, uh, apps and play with their friends. That's what they care about, having fun with their friends. That's their core priority. The technology doesn't even matter to them. Most of them probably don't know what the screen resolution of their Quest 2 is. They don't even know if it's LCD or OLED. They don't know or care. They care that they can put it on and play a game with their friends. And to me, that's going to be the kind of main aspect. What do these devices really offer to people that gets them to play them every day or at least every week? The technology and the kind of fanboyism and the companies behind it don't matter to most people. Yeah, great commentary there. And thank you so much for our commenters out there. Is there any final thoughts that you want to get into, Heaney, before we close out? No, I think we've covered a lot today. And just trying to peek and see the comments again. Hopefully, we'll be back in our real studio next week to be able to see your comments much easier um and daniel kraus says it looks like pico 4 pro will be a more affordable cambria not just a slimmer quest 2 sounds great yeah 
Uh, it sounds like that could be the case in many ways. Obviously, without the more detailed face tracking cameras, without the controllers that track themselves and without the depth sensor. But how much do those three things really matter to the average gamer? Probably not a lot. And it does seem that Pico is going to perhaps deliver the most valuable midpoint of those features between Quest 2 and Quest Pro without going all the way to a north of $1,000 price point. Though we'll have to see what really happens. Yeah, and we're still due uh, for a connect uh, from Meta later this year. So we have every expectation that in addition to the hardware launch that Meta has been fully focused on this year uh, in bringing Quest Pro to market, they're probably going to announce a, an entire slate of software plans as well as you know just software updates as well as games and content coming to its headset. And nothing you know even though we know pico is sort of getting serious here it's highly doubtful that the investment uh level is going to match what meta is putting in given how uh how many billions we know meta has been put into their efforts so it's we it's going to be that's something that's we still haven't huge, heard about yet. huge company it's one of the largest tech companies in the world and you know they have a Endless sum of investment from the Chinese government if they need it. Obviously, that's their downside as a company when it comes to Western consumer appeal, but it's their upside when it comes to capital expenditure. If they need the money, they know where they can get it from. If you look at the kind of the link between industry and government in China is almost non-existent. Sorry, the separation between them. Yeah, I think a lot of our disagreement, Heaney, on just sort of like strategy and over the next few years is right. Like you you think very focused on what the cons- what matters to the consumers near term and you're generally very you know you're right uh, again and again but also i think i try to think in terms of strategy wise and what these companies should be doing to prepare themselves long term and you know we we all want to see a standalone steam deckard right we all want to see a standalone playstation vr headset but how many years we need to wait for these companies to get there and how far behind the competition they might get is kind of the thing that's always driving my wishful thinking that uh, he always proves me wrong on. We've got Harry at Gamescom here uh, over in Germany um, checking out all the games. There's uh, nonstop news hitting our website, uploadvr.com. I think during our broadcast, we probably had another story go up. Uh, and we'll have a lot of new things coming up throughout the week. So keep coming back. Next Tuesday, 10 a.m. Pacific, we'll be back, hopefully, in our studio. I was joking on Twitter that uh, we were going to have T-1000 avatars in our studio today, but uh, we didn't get there. Uh, Hopefully, we'll have our full avatar system, full functionality back in our studio next week and uh, have a much quicker conversation with our audience. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you in the future. Thanks again, everyone. Again, yeah, we both really hope we're back in our real studio for next week. But thanks for bearing with us as we try to use workrooms, which is not meant to do this at all as a kind of clutch solution. Thanks for bearing with us.